0: Father, thank you that you bless Mike as he preaches tonight. I pray that he won't hold back. I pray that you will let him not hold back, Lord. We know he's got so much inside of him. And even if he shares what's not on this tablet,
1: (laughs) share from his heart, Lord. But you speak to us through Mike, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Greetings. Howdy. I'm so excited to be here again, because I love you guys, I love the Word of God, I love to preach the Word of God, so let's look at the Word of God, amen? Amen. Wow, thanks. Um, So you know, we've had a term focus called a body of heroes. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of louder than Chirian, so I'm going to make you feed, (laughs) so watch out. Um, So we've had this term focus called a body of heroes, and we've been looking at these lesser-known heroes, Right. ...through the New Testament that folks maybe may or not have heard of. So how many of y'all know we haven't preached about Paul this whole time, right? We've been looking at lesser known heroes. Now I want to look at one tonight. Um, And this this character, if you want to say that, because y'all know it's not a story, right? Y'all know the New Testament's not a story? Y'all, this is history. It's historical fact. And this is we build our faith on these facts and on the revelation of God... But this figure shows up in two-thirds of the books of the New Testament, if not more. And in most of these books, this character shows up in the first couple verses. So I want to show you just a little montage, um, if you will, of a bunch of greetings from all these letters in the New Testament. There's like 20 or so. And you're going to see a trend begin to emerge immediately. And so for those of you who don't like to read fast print, just check out the yellow stuff. It's in yellow y'all see in the trend to the church to those who've been called to the saints to all the saints to the elect to those who've received of faith to the churches to the church y'all see a trend Now, see, when I did that, you know, I thought about, you know, maybe I should have some really epic music, but nah. All right. So we're going to look at a hero tonight that I like to call all the saints. All the saints. Because you know what? If Jesus can't move through all of us, we're sunk. Because he did not choose Paul, he chose the church. He did not choose Gideon or Letitia, although those oaks are amazing, right? Hey, those oaks are awesome, or Davi or whoever. He did not choose Pastor Louie. He chose the church, which happens to include Gideon and Pastor Louis and Davi and Letitia. But, y'all, it's not he chose them and I just go to work. He chose us. And if we want to see God do something amazing in our country, it is not going to be through some superstar preacher that rocks up. It's going to be through us. The New Testament is written to all the saints. And in case any of you struggle with any orthodox um, theology, let me set you free. Saint means holy one that belongs to God. So raise your hand if you're a saint. All right. Those of you who aren't sure, we've got prayer after service. Right? As soon as you look Jesus in the eye and say, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose from the dead, and I want you to be my Lord. And you make that faith your own, boom, you're a saint. Right? Whether any church recognizes you after you died or not, (laughs) you're a saint. I'm not picking on those guys, but I'm just saying, biblically, (laughs) you're a saint. All right. All the saints. Somebody say, All the saints. All the saints. I just want to make sure everybody's still with me. So, every one of these letters we're talking about carries these instructions for new life in Christ. How do we live this life? Now that Jesus came into my heart, now that he's changed my life, y'all, did Jesus change your life? All right, when last did Jesus change your life? Because this is what hit me five weeks ago. I got saved in 1987, and yes, I know most of y'all weren't born then, but I got saved in 1987, and Jesus changed my life. I felt death swallow life. Um, Excuse me, I felt life swallow up death from the inside out. It was was wild. And um, when I went back to school, because I lived out in the country, y'all know in um, Texas, we're like, we have these, you know, y'all think y'all got the bush? Man, I lived, I lived about five miles from my hometown where I went to school, and I didn't see anybody for three months because like, we were like out there, you know. So when I got back to school, I was born again. I left school a hypocrite and a religious idiot, and I got back to school as a born-again, full of the Holy Ghost, um, young man of God. And all of a sudden, people started calling me by a nickname people that have known me my whole life, you know? And I didn't tell them to, and I didn't expect it. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) you know? So um, everybody everybody here, y'all call me Mike, but that's not the name on my birth certificate. That just kind of happened in 1987 because Jesus did something really cool, right? But if that's the last time he changed my life, there's a problem, y'all. Because that was... Forget the math. That was a long time ago. Thank you. 31 years ago. When did you meet Christ? When was the last time he changed your life? If it's been that long, there's a problem. And the problem is the world and our families around us cannot see the power and the glory of God if we are not letting him change our lives. Someone cut to the punchline now. I've got these little break points in my notes. <laughs> if we hit 20 minutes here, we're just going to have the altar call and go. <laughs> so here's a punchline. Five weeks ago, God showed up in a worship rehearsal with only 30 people in the building. And, and people, like, could hardly, could hardly walk or talk. And they came. We, had a, we tried to have a worship leaders meeting. Y'all, y'all we tried. The people, we, people couldn't talk, you know. And they were, what was going on? You know, and finally, I'm telling you, ten minutes, and y'all know my friend. You know, he he can talk. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm gonna let him go nameless, <laughs> but ten minutes, and even he couldn't talk. Ten minutes later, this guy began to talk, and he said it was a lament. I'm like, okay, so two thirds of the Psalms—that's cool. You know, laments are biblical, and he said it was a lament over the glory of God, and I mainly thought, well the glory of God doesn't make me lament I kind of like the glory of God and I began to think about it and and the Holy Spirit whispered to me because where is it and that's why everybody, that's what happened. There was a lamentation. Where is the glory of God? And I started to cry out in my prayer times. I started to cry out, God, where's your glory? God, where are the signs and wonders? Because the apostles, they went to town, and there were signs and wonders, and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people got born again, right? And the church exploded. Where are the signs and wonders? And I began to cry out, God, show your glory. And then the Holy Spirit began to take this prayer of mine away from the macro level and down to the micro level. And it began to turn my focus. Um, now, now, we want God to move in this nation, do we not? Amen. And over this city. I'm so glad God let me live here. I love it here. And I want to see God move, you know. But, um, but he took my prayers away from this country and this city and onto myself. And I began to look. And I said, God, I, if I haven't changed since 1987, where's the glory of God? God, where's your glory? And I began to cry out. I would dare to go into, into Mama Lodi where, where my wife um, gets to volunteer at this crush, And I get to sometimes volunteer. And I would dare to tell people Jesus changed his lives. Was well, he changing mine? When was the last time he changed my life? How I'm going to tell them that Jesus changed their lives. And I'm not letting him change mine again i began to cry out god where's your glory i don't want to embarrass my children but i was alone and i've cried and i cried out god russell needs to see that you change lives change mine change mine god Karis needs to see that you change lives god change mine i'm saying it all calm y'all but you know in texas we have the saying it was an ugly cry Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was an ugly cry. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was crying out. And my prayer times have not changed. And the Lord began to pinpoint one specific work of the flesh. Y'all know we get saved, but you know that life that's in the Spirit got to work out. And sometimes that flesh, it likes to just crawl along with us for decades, you know. And I was joking around. I showed the worship team a crack in my tablet. And I said, y'all see this crack in the screen? It's because I threw it. Because I was mad. <laughs> yeah, I'm the only one, right? It's a, it's a one-person support group for me. Do y'all feel for me? Am I the only one? Nobody has fits of rage but me, right? Y'all are more more, more sanctified than me. Whatever, what, is the, what fruit of the flesh might be rearing up in your life? Because when I was praying for tonight, I said, God, would you do something sovereign? And for one, two, five, ten, a hundred people, however many people in the room tonight, would this be a turning point? Because five weeks ago, there was a turning point. And there has been no fits of rage in my life for th- over 30 days. that it's not, ooh, Mike did something. No, Jesus did something because he changes lives. Do you believe that Jesus changes lives? All right, well, I'll tell you what, before we start praying and crying out, God changed lives over here. God changed lives over here. I'm looking for some volunteers that'll stand up and say, "God changed my life. I don't sound enough like Jesus. I don't smell enough like Jesus. People get around me and they can't tell the difference between me and someone who's never met him, and God changed me first. Changed me first. I hope to make you hungry for the glory of God. I hope that Holy Spirit will make you hungry for his glory. Because we, we're waiting for the big macro revival. And God just wants to revive you and me. Where is the glory of God? Where are the changed lives? I'm going to tell you, if you read the New Testament about Paul and Silas, but if I have time because I'm way off my notes. Thank you for giving me that freedom. (laughs) If I have time, I'm going to read some testimonies from both saints and sinners in the 1st and 2nd century churches. Some wild stuff, right? Some wild stuff. So sweeping change came to the entire Roman Empire in the first 300 years after Christ. I don't tell you, Paul's amazing, hey? But he didn't do that. It wasn't Paul and Silas. There were some other great fathers, Tertullian and Augustine. It wasn't them either. Where did this incredible change come to to the entire known world? To those oaks. They didn't know about, you know, like other entire continents. But, But to those guys, where did all this change come from? It came from it came from all the saints. All the saints. You know, we grew up in Pentecostal churches. Jesus, use me. Jesus, use me. Jesus, use me. And then a lot of people grow up and they figure out, man, Jesus ain't going to send me to Africa. I guess I'll just go to work. My God, you're surrounded by sinners. Jesus, use me. Jesus, use me. Jesus, use me. Show them something. Where's the glory of God? Where are the changed lives? Y'all come with me. Most of y'all, like me, use a Bible I carry like 18 versions everywhere I go now. <laughs> Swipe with me to First Thessalonians chapter one. Actually I have it on here. First Thessalonians chapter one. We'll see one of these greetings. It says Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all I'm finna read this whole chapter because the word of God preaches better than me. Amen. So might I just read this chapter, drop the mic. Jesus will do his work, you know, the sound guys will forgive me or make me pay for the mic. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Sometimes we gloss over the greetings. Y'all listen to this greeting because there's some stuff in here. I was reading this a few weeks ago and the man had about melted me. Check this out. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I hope somebody remembers that about me. How do you want to be remembered? And by the way, they were still alive, right? That's that's what he remembered about them. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power. Yes, Lord. Yes, even today, please God. And with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message, the gospel, in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, check this out, you became a model to so all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So they're like northern Greece and southern Greece, okay? <laughs> and the Lord's message, the gospel rang out from you, not only in all of Greece, but your faith has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For others themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues from the coming wrath. Right? That was amazing scripture, right? So there was something about this community of believers that was exceptional. Something that was noteworthy. Something that was making the news, y'all. Um, how are we making the news today? I want to make news because of Jesus, not because of anything else. Paul says these saints are making a difference. Their faith is a talk of the country. So, what's so exceptional? So, we're going to look at those three things in verse three. And then, if we have time, we might look at, at three principles in the rest of the chapter. We shall just see. Hopefully, we'll have fun along the way. But I also hope that our hearts burn. Is that okay? We came to church, man. Let's burn. Gideon said, how can I pray for you? And I said, man, pray that God comes. Because if he doesn't come, I don't want to either. You know? God, move in our hearts today. Man, we dared to worship the living God. We dared to call on his name. I hope you didn't plan to leave here the same as you came. Because I don't want to. I don't want to. How did I dare approach the living God in all of his holiness and majesty and think I could leave the same? God, change me again today. Those for free. <laughs> three phases, three phrases in verse three that are easy to overlook, but y'all, this is noteworthy: work of faith, labor of love, and in- endurance of hope. So, first thing, let's look at your work of faith. Now, he didn't say the work of faith; he said to these to these believers, your work of faith. Now, this Greek word for work is occupation. Right? So how many of y'all got an occupation? I used to have one. I was, the, I was a level three help desk engineer at a pump company. Right? Doesn't that sound exciting? No. <laughs> it was both stressful and boring. How did they get that right? <laughs> you know? But that was, that's what it was. Right? But that was my occupation. It's what kept me busy every day. And this is the word he used. Because y'all, these Thessalonians, they weren't all preachers. They were living in Thessalonica and going to work and doing their thing. And Paul says, your work comes from your faith. And I've been hearing about it. And I'm saying, it's noteworthy. And later on, we learned that some of these Thessalonians, they were like starting to freak out, thinking Jesus would come in the next five minutes. So they were like quitting their jobs and, you know, going home and having prayer vigils because they think, you know, Jesus is going to come right now. And Paul had to write... Um, in his letter, he had to conclude, y'all, get a job, <laughs> go back to work. But why is that? Why, is, why didn't he say go back to work? Because your work is important to God. Hey, man, how many have 40-hour jobs and it's not in church? you all think the 40 hours that you're at work matters as much to God as the one hour you're in this building? Do you think so? Yeah, man. 40 hours there, 40 hours for you to shine like stars in the universe because you're doing your work without complaining. In case you didn't notice, I just quoted Philippians 2, right? In our workplace, we can show the glory of God. And people around us can say, there's something different about that guy. I had people who would come to my cubicle after the Lord had to do some attitude adjustments. (laughs) I had people... That's for another story for another day. (laughs) People would come to my cubicle and just talk and talk and talk. And they would look for stuff to break so they can come and talk. And why? Because my cubicle had a different atmosphere than all the other cubicles. Because the glory of God was there. Right? We can make a difference. We can make a difference in our work. Do everything, whether in word or deed, as unto the Lord. And there's a guy that my wife loves to watch on YouTube. It's me. No, I'm kidding. I'm not on YouTube. There's a guy she loves to watch on YouTube. And he has a job, and it's not preacher, but it is comedian. And um, he shares how God speaks to him and uses him in his work, too. So I want y'all to hear. You heard from an IT nerd. Now I want you to hear from a comedian about how God is using him in his workplace. So Sam, could you um, give us thanks?
0: God gave me a change in mindset about comedy. Normally, when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. That's what I was all about. And then God said to me simply, "No. What I want you to do is go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh." told <coughs> to Be not conformed to the ways that He said, give them an opportunity to laugh." This right here has changed everything about everything that we do as a company. Because I'm not looking to take, I'm looking to give. If you can get a hold of this, it will literally, for real, in every way change your life. Because if you walk into a room and you're asking the question, what can I give? You're just in a better place. You are more like Jesus under those circumstances. And if you haven't made that decision to ask that question, by default, you were actually you were saying what can I get? So when you make the choice, it literally changes everything. So now I'm in the, I do, I do my show, we have a great time, I leave the club that night, there's people around, me you with know, autographs, high fives, it's like this whenever I leave this club now, but this in particular night, while I'm talking to the people, I looked across the street and I saw a homeless guy. I had never seen a homeless guy outside this club before, ever. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there before. That just means before my mindset was to get laughs from people. So why would I even notice a homeless guy? I noticed him and I was like, what about him? How can I give him an opportunity to laugh? Then I asked God, and God was like, you really want to know? And I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, so we went and did this comedy tour. We started going to homeless shelters the prisons. So whenever I do a concert somewhere, we always look for a prisoner or a homeless shelter to do comedy. I put a headline in there. God gave me a change
1: sorry it was just about to loop so here thank you Sam so here's here's this guy and his job is to make people laugh but he gets a paradigm shift from God and now there's no comedian in the U.S. that's quite like this guy and you're like and you're probably thinking oh cool man so he's really popular on the church circuit yeah and Jay Leno and who else all over the place. And he's been, so he's hanging out and he's on the big shows with the big sinners, but he's there shining the light of Jesus. Y'all, them sinners is funny. You know what I'm saying? I love comedy, but this dude is making, is, is giving people an opportunity to laugh with, with Jesus. How me believe Jesus can use you in your workplace? I bet, I bet there's like Less than 1% of the folks in this room whose everyday work involves standing on a platform somewhere holding a microphone. Good. Because that means you have a lot more opportunity to influence. Because someone holding a microphone has has like a sliver of time to have any kind of influence. But you're every day rubbing shoulders and rubbing elbows with people. And if Jesus is changing your life, I'm going to tell you who notices. Sinners notice. Sinners notice. Because we're going to look at some of these stories right so the second thing is your labor of love and this word in the greek labor is like a toiling labor it's an intense labor it's like having gone to a lot of trouble so what were christians in the first century going to all this trouble for and i want to give you some examples um, from the first and second centuries right here's some of the trouble the early church went to um sam we have this quote it's i think it's the very next slide sir um dionysius i don't know how to pronounce greek but he's an early church leader in rome and he wrote this to the christian community heedless of danger they took charge of the sick listen there was a plague breaking out in rome and it was hectic Rome, the, the entire empire, not just the city, lost one-third of its population in about like 30 or 40 years. So this is like hectic. This is like AIDS in our day. This plague took, took out a lot of people. So they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. all they went in there and took care of people and got sick and died with them. For they were infected by others, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Y'all, listen, this is a, this is a, this is a bishop in the church, but we have letters that have, that have survived 1,800, 1,900 years from, from centurions and soldiers and governors and senators, and they're saying things like, these nutty Christians... A whole neighborhood gets sick, and these, and these nutty Christians just charge in there and start caring for people. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Because when you act like Jesus, sinners notice. Right? At the same time, another contemporary during this plague wrote that the nonbelievers in Rome would shove their family members into the street because they didn't want to also get sick. And they would let them get trampled in the street. They would, they would shove them out in the street before they were even dead because they were so afraid. Of catching the disease. Are y'all seeing the difference? See the church is supposed to be counterculture. And let me just take one aside. Counterculture does not mean putting a meme on your Facebook. And having an opinion. Can I be real? Counterculture means living in a different way. That is attractive and powerful. And dripping with the grace and the love and the truth of God. That's the kind of counterculture I'm talking about. Y'all know I'm not against memes, especially funny ones. If you don't know that, just look me up on Facebook and we'll have a good time. Another, another guy from back then, Julian the Apostate. Now, this dude did not like faith. He didn't like religion. He hated Christians. And he's, and he's writing constantly, kind of like atheists these days, they all their time hating on Christians. Anyway, he's writing constantly about Christianity and how, and how he hates some people. And then he has to admit in his writing, and this is the quote, the godless Galileans fed not only their poor, but ours also. You see, they were getting people's attention for all the right reasons. In early Rome, I'm getting a lot of this information from an incredible book called The Way Back. Um, so you Americans, you can find it in your bookshelves. South Africa, we, we'll catch it. It'll come soon. It's an amazing book, an amazing book, The Way Back by um, a guy named Cook. I forget his first name. So, um, and also, he got it from Rodney Stark's book, the, the Rise of the Church, The Rise of Christianity, and we do have that in South Africa. In early Rome, a lot of times they didn't name newborn babies for the first 8 to 10 days. And it's not because they were indecisive. It's because they weren't sure they would live or they weren't sure they would want them. Right? Because if it was a girl, they're like, oh, that's a girl. I wanted a boy. And they would go to the wall, and they would do this practice called exposure. And they'd take the little baby infant girl, set her on the wall, and leave. And let the baby girl die or get eaten by the vultures or whatever. And that's it. They would just leave. And that was the practice. But these Christians in Rome, and we don't even know how the church sprang up in Rome. We actually don't know. We have some theories. Maybe there was a Roman when, when, the, when they first got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And everybody's like, whoa, I hear Latin. What's this? You know, maybe somebody got saved and went home, and there's a church coming. We don't know where these folks came from, but Paul showed up because he heard about them. Right? These guys in Rome, without the benefit of of all kinds of copies of scripture like we have today, they figure out, hey man, everybody's created in the image of God. You don't go exposing your babies because they're created in the image of God. There was also a tremendous practice of abortion. And the Christians were like, wait a minute, no. No, we're not supposed to, that's that's not right. So they began to not only stop exposing their own babies and stop aborting their own unborn children, but they began to sneak out to the wall and grab these little girls that were left to die and adopt them into their homes. And the sinners in Rome started to notice, whoa where they get all that money? That's a lot of babies. What's going on? Man, that's different. That is so different from us. It got noticed. What's getting us noticed today? Is your heart maybe burning? God, how do we make news by living like Jesus again? Because I want to see the glory of God. And I'm convinced... We will see signs and wonders. But you know what the glory of God is? It's changed lives. That's the glory of God. When he says the whole earth will be filled with his glory, that's y'all covering the earth, changed and showing his character. The glory is the essence of God. The glory of God is his essence, is what he's like. And when we look and sound and smell more and more like Jesus and the whole earth is full of his glory are you hungry where is the glory of god where's the glory of god where are the changed lies? god changed my life god changed me and the next thing he said was your endurance of hope and this was an enduring joyful patience they did they went to a lot of trouble to love but the idea here is it wasn't trouble to wait and where did this hope come from? They had joy while they were suffering persecution. Y'all in Thessalonica, it was it, in Thessalonica, it was real. They were getting really persecuted. It was hard times, and they had joy in the middle of all this because the thing they were waiting for filled them with joy and confidence. Because Jesus is coming, y'all. Jesus is coming, and you know what? Whatever your eschatology is, it's either the last days or it's your last days. Because we're going, we're going to see Him. You know what I mean? And that is something to be excited about and look forward to. We will see him. So here's an example of the lifestyle they modeled. It's a really long quote that I didn't put up there. So y'all just, y'all just hang with me. Um, there was a letter written in 130 AD, and we don't know who wrote it, but when you look at the language, especially when he says confessedly, which means admittedly, it means I have to admit this dude's not a believer right? So here's what this sinner said about the Christians. Ready? He says, for the Christians are distinguished from other men, not by country or language or customs, but in living in our own cities and following the customs of wherever they live in respect to clothing and food and ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. Striking. Jesus, is my life striking to others? Is my life striking to others? He says, they marry as do, I lost my place. Y'all, it's a long quote. They marry like everyone else, and they beget children like everyone else, but they don't destroy their offspring. That's a reference to the abortion and to the exposure. They have a common table, but not a common bed. Y'all see this guy saying, it's weird, man. These Christians not jumping in bed with everybody. You know? Man, do you know that'll preach? What if today we decided that God is God of sex and relationships and also just like he's God of us going to heaven? It's just as weird today as it was 1,870 years ago for someone to not have sex unless he or she is married and only with that partner. And today, that's what y'all oh, is so quiet in here. Am I offending y'all? I, I'm, I don't want to be offensive, but I'm not sorry for speaking the truth. You know? What if we lived like Jesus intended? And what if he was God of all of our lives and not just 75 or 80%? And, the, and these people said, man, these Christians don't just talk a talk. Man, they're living something. It is striking, it's different. And said, man, these guys get married. And they only have sex with only their wives. What is that? They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time, they surpass the laws with their lives. Man, they love all men, and they're persecuted by all men. They're poor, yet they make others rich. Don't you want that to be said of you? Not the poor bit, but don't you want to be said that you make people rich? And even if you are poor, listen, all of us are poor compared to Somebody. Stick me next to Bill Gates? Oh, uh, what. <laughs> no, right? But I want to be known that I make others rich. They lack in all things, and yet they abound in all things. What's he talking about? Abound? We think abound. We think abundance. But when that guy wrote abound, he meant they're constantly giving. They don't have anything, yet they somehow find a way to constantly be giving. Y'all, here's a sinner preaching to us what Christians are supposed to look like. I want to be noteworthy because I live, I talk, I sound, I act like Jesus. I remind others of Jesus. Wouldn't you love it if the world had to say things like, Man, I gotta admit, those Christians got something going on it's special. Man, there's something, goodness gracious. There's something. They're dishonored, yet in their very dishonored, they're glorified. People speak evil of them, but they're justified. He goes on and on and on. And nobody's saying in South Africa, yo, but these oaks is different, eh? (laughs) Yes. Right? Their lifestyle was confessedly striking. If y'all didn't catch that, just ask a South African. It's okay. So I'll have a question for you. Is your everyday eating, sleeping, and going to work life striking to other believers? If not, shall we offer it to God? Yeah, some of you caught. I did quote Romans 12, chapter two, verse 2, verse 1. Is your everyday eating, sleeping, walking around, and going to work life, is it striking? If not, shall we give it to God? You know what? Shall we give it to God again now? I mean, every day of my life for the, last, for the last 30, 35, I don't know, five or six, four or five weeks, I've been crying out, God, God, I'm gonna play games. Change me today. God, change me today. Where's your glory? Where's your glory? You know, you can take a term like pastor or missionary or Christian or worship team member, you can wear that like a little honor badge. And it doesn't mean nothing. Where is the glory of God? Where's the change in my own life? If all my children see is me get mad and throwing a tablet, how are they going to see Jesus? God, change me. If you're hungry, would you pray with me now? I dare you. I want to pray a prayer. Listen, I'm not not going to do the American evangelical thing. Y'all pray after me. If you don't like what I say, just ask me about it later. I'm just going to start praying. I'm just going to start pouring my heart out to God. Right? And I'm going to mean every word. And I want to dare you or challenge you or invite you, pour out your heart to God. Give your life to God with me again. Not a salvation prayer, but if you've never given your heart to Jesus, let me just tell you, right here and now, it's really simple. It's not one cute little prayer and then boom, uh-uh, everything's fine. No, this is a journey. We can work our salvation out. With fear and trembling, it's a walk. It's a lifetime commitment. But if you've never done that, I'm telling you, you come alive right now when you give your life to Jesus. So as I begin to pray my prayer, you tell them this stuff. You ready? You tell them, Jesus, I believe you lived without sinning and you died to pay for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. And I give you my life. Please be my Lord. All of it. All of it. All of it. Right? And you, amen, and you'll come alive. In Christ, but for the rest of us, maybe you've already given your life to Jesus. Let's give our lives to Him again. Let's say, God, take my going to work life. Maybe the Holy Ghost is laying things. You know, y'all know the fruit of the flesh. You know, I done talked about. I done. I was very. um, I was very. um, What do you call it? Transparent (laughs) about throwing my stuff. Having fits of rage, y'all. I can tell you, I have not called a taxi driver a name in over a month. Right. (laughs) Right. It's Jesus. Right. And everybody's like, yeah, like, I'm not proud of that. Are you proud of that? I hope not. You know, I'm not proud of that. But I'm like, Jesus, because you know what? I would do that in front of my kids. I'm like, but you know what? Good. Right. They're going to because they can now see that he's changing my life. God does change lives. So let's pray if you're hungry. Let's pray. Father, I come to you. I pray. I dare you. I invite you. Pray out loud with me. God, I come to you, and I want to say to you, Father, that my life is yours. Again. Again, God. Thank you that you saved me in 1987, but I'm hungry today, God. I'm hungry today, God, because my life, it needs to be yours. Every bit of it, Father. Lord, if I want to tell other people that you change lives, then I want to see you changing my life again. Lord, change my life again. Lord, my every day going to work, eating and sleeping and walking around life. So when I'm walking around in the mall, Lord God, my behavior, the look on my face, the things I stare at, God, Lord, let your glory be seen. Let sinners see that you're changing me, that there's something different in me. The way I talk to strangers, the way I talk to people in the street, the way I talk to my wife and honor her, the way I talk to my children and love them. God, would you be visible? Would you be seen? Jesus, it's not what would Jesus do. It's Jesus do through me. Jesus, love my wife and children through me. Jesus, go to work through me. Jesus, fix computers through me. Jesus, drive my car and smile at taxi drivers and other drivers through me. Jesus, live your life through me. Jesus, your life, your glory, your power. I want your glory to be seen in the earth. So God, I give you my life again. I set it on the altar again all of it, God, relationships, finance, work, all of it, every fiber of my being, Jesus, take it for you, for your glory, because I'm yours, God, and I want to be part of this movement that happens when hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of believers allow the character of Christ to show up in their workplaces and in their gardens and in their lounges and in the streets and in the markets. Jesus, walk the earth through me. Jesus, walk the earth through me. And I cry out, Lord, bring revival that the church would be known for the power and the glory of God again and not for anything else. And start with me. Jesus, the world needs to see your power So change me. Change me. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. Are you burning? I'm burning. right. The rest of this chapter, we need to be done, but I will tell you the rest of this chapter. um, God took their mundane, their everyday, and he made it shine. He took their mundane and he made it shine. So what happened? How did these guys become an example? First thing you'll see in verses um, 4 and 5, they recognize the power and the presence of God. Y'all, don't miss it. I don't like that song. That song has been sung way too many times. It's boring. You miss it. Who's that song about? Don't miss it. God's here. Don't miss it. Right? Don't don't miss it. Embrace the power in the presence of God. And if you don't think the worship leader or the preacher, whoever's making a draw on the, on the power of God, first of all, that's just mental. but that's okay. If you don't think he is, then you do it. God, come. Why does a pastor have to instigate everything? Come on, believers. Let's make a draw on the, on the power of God. God, come. Why don't we surround this amazing leadership? Anyway, I told you I wouldn't preach it. So the next thing. They embraced the gospel in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of severe suffering. And I want to say this. There was severe suffering in Thessalonica because of two things. There was intense poverty and there was persecution of Christians. And they embraced the gospel, right? And I want to tell you, for different reasons and for some same reasons, there is severe suffering in South Africa, you know? There's a lot of our population that was marginalized on purpose, for over a hundred years. Y'all, that's evil. That's evil. And there's a lot of suffering still going on because it takes more than 20 years to recover from that, right? It, there's a lot of suffering. And here's the deal. Paul is writing to people. He didn't cause their suffering, but he had not suffered with them because he had a privileged life. So he didn't suffer that with them, and he, but he didn't cause it. But he's writing them and said, in the midst of all that suffering, you embraced the gospel. And so if you're suffering for whatever reason, whether it's all horrible stuff that's happened in your country, or whether your family has betrayed you, horrible things have happened in your family, maybe at work or school, in the midst of your suffering, will you dare to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ? because it's still powerful amen the last thing he did he did is they turned from idols and idols back then that was like normal you know today we have all these sermons about idols and and it's like this spooky thing you know and you think about like some kind of some kind of um, Indiana Jones movie, you know, all these temples with booby traps and gold statues and snakes and all this stuff. Ooh, idols, you know. Idols was normal, man. It was like tweeting on, you know, posting a tweet or sticking a meme on Facebook. It was common. You know, it was like getting in a taxi. Everybody did it. It was just a normal part of life. And when they turned from idols, that was weird, y'all. That was weird. And people noticed that. They're like, everybody does this. What y'all doing? you know, and they turned from something that was iconic in their culture. But they didn't turn from every bit of their culture. Now, these people lived in Greece, and you know what they were? They were Greek. Jesus changed their lives, and they got up the next day, and they were still Greek. They spoke Greek. They acted Greek. They ate Greek food, which I understand is kind of tasty. They did everything Greek except the stuff in their culture that didn't jive with the kingdom. So you know what? We got some Americans today. Y'all going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to still be American just like me. Six and a half years later, you know, I try to talk. I try to, you know, speak a little more proper English. And someone will say, what part of America are you from? I can't hide it, man. You know, it sticks out. So I'm going to wake up tomorrow and we'll still be American, right? I'm going to wear American clothes, eat them. Well, I can't eat American food because I live over here. But you know what I'm saying? Y'all going to wake up tomorrow still be South African. And, um we we'll speak our 11 languages. We'll eat our bubuti and our poppin' voice. You know what I'm saying? We're going to do our South African thing, right? Except when it doesn't jive with the kingdom. And then we stand out different. We do things like, I ain't moving in with her until she says, I do. Amen? We do things like, you know, I loved my auntie, but she's dead. And I'm not going to pray to her because she can't change nothing right? Can, is it okay if we're real? Yeah. Right? I'm, pr- you know, not me, but I'm saying if you're South African, I'm proudly South African. Thank God for my country. Keep on doing the South African thing except when the kingdom has something different. And go ahead on and show that kingdom culture off. And what will the letters look like five, ten years from now of other South Africans talking about these Christians? Yo, those people, those folks are different, hey? But there's something beautiful about it. There's something beautiful about it. Let's do this thing. Amen. Let's do this thing. I sure love you guys.